Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to connect in this way. We thank you, Lord, for the last few days of just enjoying rest and family and celebrating your birth. And uh, God, it's been, it's been good. And Lord, it's good to be together and to connect in this way this morning. Lord, we pray just your blessing upon the word of God. As we spend time with you this morning, Lord, that's the position we want to take sit, sitting at your feet. Because the written word leads us to the living word, King Jesus. And Jesus, we want to be fed of you this morning and hear what you have to say to us. And so, Lord, speak by your spirit, we pray, through the word of God. Amen. Hey, uh, what an awesome time on Christmas Eve. I don't know if you got to connect with us or not, or if you got a chance to watch the video of Thursday night, but we had a sweet time. You know, we like set up outside, of course, for Christmas Eve. We did a drive-in service. And if you weren't here, I, I think it's probably good that you just get a little bit of a report. It was incredible. We had a team working inside. If, if you can imagine, they were mixing sound outside, or they were mixing it inside for outside and mixing the live stream and all that stuff. And we're broadcasting on FM. Are we doing that this morning? Are we broadcasting on FM this morning? We are? No, we're not. Okay. We're going to be doing that coming up on Sunday mornings. And um, yeah, you know, what's really cool is people are out walking in the evening. It's Christmas Eve and they hung out and just participated. There was constantly people up top watching from above our parking lot. In fact, in the condos and some of the places out here that we could see, people were out on their decks participating. And, you know, I got home on Christmas Eve and someone texted me. They live like a kilometer away across the water. They said, man, it was like you guys were in my front yard. And so pretty neat experience for us as a church. Really fun to get outside the four walls and to share Jesus in that way and to celebrate the Christmas season. And so if you haven't had a chance, I would encourage you Go to the YouTube page or the Facebook page and check out uh, uh, Christmas, the Christmas Eve service and just what that looked like, okay? So sweet, here we are. It is the last Sunday of 2020. <laughs> um, and I have to say, I don't have any regrets with most of 2020 in the rear view of my mind and my life. You know, we're not exactly sorry to see this year coming to an end, are we? No one is saying, you know, just give me a little more 2020 this morning. No way, man. We want it behind us. And you know, it's just been an interesting year. I've been, I, was think, I was thinking about it in preparation for this morning, just in my mind, going back what, what January was like around our church, and then February, and kind of some of the things that we were hearing. And then before we knew it so quickly in March, it was like just two weeks of two weeks of flattening the curve turned into months of our church not gathering until May. And then we gathered in Again, and at the end of May, and we just have had a sweet time through the fall, and then here into the winter, now we're, we're back live streaming again. And I got to say, I don't need any more of 2020. I've, I've had enough. But I would say this, over the times that we gathered through the summer, especially, I think, in particular, over the last six weeks, it became really apparent that... Um, you know, maybe we wouldn't have chosen 2020. We wouldn't have said, hey, let's, let's design our year to look this way. But certainly I would say this, I don't have any regrets with regards to the things that God has done in my personal life and the things that I've seen him do in my family and in our church. You know, I think many awesome nights of prayer we have had together gathering where God has reminded his church of the priority of his kingdom reminded his church that we are citizens of heaven. 
And there is a certainly a battle going on in the world as I just think about this year. And uh, I was recalling that it was in March, in my own personal quiet time, that the Lord just gave me a passage of scripture from Jeremiah chapter 25. And I felt like the Lord told me that the nations were going to become drunk, that they were going to come under the influence of something that was uh, beyond what can be seen or recognized with the physical eye, something that was beyond the natural and I think the truth is, is that is exactly what we have watched happen and what we've experienced. You know, still today, this morning, even though our churches can't gather, even though we're not allowed to gather with our families at Christmas and all of these different things, we look around and it doesn't add up. We look at the numbers, it doesn't add up. We look at the information that we're told and the things that we just observe from our eye, with our eyes apart from what we hear in the media, and it doesn't add up. You know, just last week... Lisa and I went into the city to do our last little bit of Christmas shopping, and I was stunned as I went to Costco, as I went to the mall. It was just mayhem. Uh, we were lined up outside of Costco before it even opened, waiting to get in there. Went to the mall. It was like there was no sign of Christmas, but the place was packed. Crazy. Well, you know, I think about this and all these things, and, and, I, and I think about it not adding up, and I got to say this, it's really tempting to get angry. <laughs> it's really tempting to be angry with government these days, with the state. I think especially for what I think we're experiencing as a church, not being able to gather, we say it's not fair. That makes me angry. You know, here we are a couple days removed from Christmas and celebrating Jesus' birth, Emmanuel, and the whole purpose of Jesus coming as Emmanuel was on a rescue mission for men and women. And this morning, what I want to do is this. I want to talk about the cross from the manger to the cross. That's what I called this message, from the manger to the cross. And when we look around the world and we're uh, seeking bearing points, seeking to understand what's happening in the midst of the world, I would tell you this. That the cross is the true heart of the matter. The cross is the crux. It is the most important part of who we are and what God has called us to. You know, we look at our calendar, the system of our calendar, you know. We talk about, you know, years before Christ and years A.D. in the year of our Lord. You know, the birth of Jesus is the dividing point of history. We mark every calendar date by the birth of Jesus. But the true bearing point for us is not his birth, it's what he accomplished on the cross. The cross reminds us that the battle is not so much about human governments, church. We need to remember this. The battle is not so much about human governments. The cross reminds us that the battle isn't between the church and the province. The battle is not between the church and the government. The battle is not between the church and the state, but the true battle happens in the heart and in the lives of every man and woman. The true battle for you is in your own heart, in your own life. If Jesus has our lives, and if it's true that the cross is the bearing point, the cross is the center, then I would say this, well, the cross is greater than politics, amen? The cross is greater than the government, amen? The cross is greater than this world. 
And what we need to know is this, is that it's through the cross, through Jesus, we overcome no matter what comes against us. That is the testimony and the faith and the belief of those who follow Jesus. The cross, through the cross of Christ, we overcome. And that means this. You know, and I've been thinking about this. You know, I wonder this. Is 2021 going to be any better than 2020? And I got to just say to you, I'm not feeling super confident. I mean, I hate to say that, but I just have to be honest. I'm not feeling super confident about the direction that I see the world going. But if the cross is our bearing point, if the cross is the center of our lives, then I would say this, we can welcome any assault that comes against us. Church, think about this. We can welcome any assault against our freedoms. We can welcome any assault even against our freedoms if we see the conflict as an opportunity for the kingdom of God and for the cross of Christ to be preached. For us to be authentic witnesses of Jesus Christ. You know, we could make the mistake in the midst of everything that's going on, just turn it into like culture wars. We talk about culture wars. I would tell you the true war. The true war is for the hearts and souls of men and women. And if our witness for Jesus Christ is going to be authentic, then listen, church, we have to endure in the midst of the things that are going to come or yet, that are yet to come. And our message has to be of the cross of Christ. We have to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, church. So I love this verse. And if you're in your Bibles, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. I love this verse from Galatians 6.14. Paul says this. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, I've been crucified to this world. And this world has been crucified to me elsewhere in, in Galatians chapter 6, as we learn in our discipleship program here at CTK. And if, you, if you're interested in growing as a disciple boy, we'd like to connect with you. Paul says this, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've been crucified to this world. And so I think about this. He says, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ. You know, you think about the things that men boast in. Actually, the Bible tells us the Lord spoke through the prophet Jeremiah with regards to what men boast in. Let me read to you from Jeremiah chapter 9. It's going to come up on your screen. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. The Lord said through the prophet Jeremiah, men boast in their wisdom. That mankind boasts in their own knowledge and wisdom. You know, the popular school of thought seems to be that humankind throughout history is on this progressive journey of enlightenment and self-improvement and self-realization, evolving, getting better and better, turning into a wise, wise being. 
And yet so often as we look around the world, those who profess to be so wise have also denied the existence of God. And God's word says it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. People far smarter than you and far smarter than me don't know the Lord. But the prophet says this, the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord through him says, let him who boasts, boast that he knows and understands me. Jesus himself said this, that unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And certainly there is this sense that that God is truly unknowable to the human intellect. You know, if you could just simply be argued into the kingdom of God through logic and common sense and such things, that would be wonderful. But the scripture tells us that no man knows the father and the son except to him whom the son reveals him. That coming into the kingdom of God is not a matter of intellect, but a matter of the work of God's spirit in your life. This is why Jeremiah says, if you want to boast about something, boast that you know the Lord. Boast that you know God. There are people far smarter than you who don't know Jesus. But there is one thing in common that both the wise and the fool have. Both will die. You know, it's so amazing to me. One of the conversations I've been involved in, you know, over the months, it's like, it's like the world never grasped the concept that they were going to die prior to 2020. It's like shocking. But the truth is, no matter how wise men might become, they will not escape death. And at the point of death, human wisdom has no value to the one who doesn't know God. The Lord also said this to Jeremiah, that men boast in their might, their strength, and their power. You know, I think about our culture and just the striving to, you know, perfect the body, to have a beautiful body, to perfect the physique. And like, just look at me. Do you realize how hard I work at this right now, right here? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you're laughing hard. Yeah, I exactly. COVID-20 is real, the 20 pounds. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. You know, no matter how hard you struggle to have the perfect body, the, rea- the reality is this, you will not outrun gravity in your life. And Paul said this to his son in the faith, Timothy. He said, I, you know, and I don't know the deal with Timothy. Maybe Timothy was, uh, you know, into pumping iron and mountain biking and a fan of the Canucks or whatever it was, looking after his physique. But Paul said to him, Timothy, physical training is of some value, but godliness holds value for all things, holding promise in both this present life and the life to come. You know, I was thinking about, you could have a trophy room like Sidney Crosby, right? He's a triple crown winner. I think he's a double, two-time triple crown winner, which means he's won the Stanley Cup, uh, an Olympic gold medal, and a world championship. There's only a handful of people in the whole world that have done that. You could have a trophy room like Wayne Gretzky, But if you miss out on the the trophy of eternal life, who cares? You know, the Lord said through Jeremiah, men boast in their riches. We know that old saying, he who with with the most toys wins. Our culture loves to boast in its riches, loves its possessions. We're fascinated with some of these characters in the world that we see who have, who just got more money than some small nations. 
You do realize that most of the world looks at the Western world and like longs and desires to have the, the quality of life that, that we have. They envy us. And yet the struggle for each of us to be content with our stuff, with our clothes, with our house, with our vehicles is, is hard in our culture. Men boast in their riches. You know, King David lived better than you and I. And yet he said this in Psalm 49. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. And he should live, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. You know, all the money in the world can't buy you freedom and redemption from sin. That's only found in Christ Jesus. Jesus challenged his disciples. He said to them, lay up riches in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy you know, the Bible tells us that, that eternal riches are true wealth. In fact, Paul said that the riches that we have in Christ Jesus are actually unsearchable. Follower of Jesus, you're very rich. And this has nothing to do with the money in your bank account. It has everything to do with what you have in Christ Jesus. You know, the Lord also said to Jeremiah that men boast, my own hands saved me. I can't help but think of... Uh, Gideon, because we've been in the book of Judges in our regular Sunday morning series. And, you know, the Lord had said to Gideon when he was about to lead Israel to victory over the Midianites, the Lord, the Lord said, look it, I got to make sure you don't boast. I got to make sure that Israel does not boast saying my own hand has saved me. My own hand has saved me. And isn't that the boast of mankind's heart? My own hand has saved me. You know, sometimes God works in our lives and he stacks the odds so badly against us that when deliverance actually comes, we recognize this is the Lord's victory. I didn't do anything. My hands did not save me. The victory is God's. And some of you even this morning might be facing things in life that on a human level appear to be insurmountable. And I might ask you, could it be that the Lord has so stacked the odds against you could it be that it's for this purpose so that when victory comes, you'll have no choice but to boast in him, boast in Jesus, to boast in the Lord? You know, Gideon had an army of 32,000, as the book of Judges tells us, against an army of 135,000. He was badly outnumbered, and yet the Lord said to him, you have too many men. If you win, Israel will boast, saying, my own, has this, my own hand has saved me. So the Lord reduced the Number of Gideon's army from 32,000 down to 10,000. 10,000 now against 135,000. And the Lord said to Gideon, you still have too many. You're going to boast saying my own hand has saved me. And finally, as we know from the, the, the book of Judges, that army was whittled down from 10,000 down to 300 men. And the Lord said to Gideon, finally, now Israel will boast in the Lord. With your lips, you will confess the Lord did it. God saved us. The victory is the Lord. You'll boast in me. 
They had to be outnumbered 450 to 1 before they'd come to that own conclusion. And you know, maybe the Lord's outnumbered you in that way in the battle that you're facing. Maybe that's the very purpose so that you'll say the victory is the Lord's. It's his. The Lord saved us. You know, the Apostle Paul figured this out, and he confessed this, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Far be it from me. When Paul says that, you have to hear that confession of this man who's, who's saying, God forbid it. Don't let it come from my lips, Lord. Remove it. May it be distant. May this attitude be remote and far removed from my life. Be it not so, Lord, that I would boast in anything except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word boast, it just means to talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements and possessions or abilities. And Paul says, no. No, if I'm going to boast, it's going to be in Jesus. I am going to boast in the cross of my Savior. Now, you think about that, and I, I got to say this. Why would anyone boast in the cross? Like, really? Like, on every level of human understanding and, and sight, you got to think, are Christians crazy boasting in the cross? Do we really comprehend the reality of what was accomplished on the cross? We take the cross and we make it a symbol of our faith. We wear it around our neck in pieces of jewelry. We hang it as a symbol in our homes and in our church. <laughs> and we don't do that with a guillotine. We don't, you know, nobody has pictures of electric chairs hanging in their homes. Fashioned out of precious metal hanging around their neck. No, the cross, the cross on which Jesus died, the cross is an instrument of punishment for the most guilty criminal and the lowest of slaves. The cross is an instrument of death. The cross is a mechanism of torture. The cross is a tool of wrath. But the cross, the cross is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And he says, the cross is folly to those who are perishing. You know, to some, the cross is a stumbling block. That's what the Bible tells us. The thought of God coming to earth in the flesh and then going to a cross, it's like a stumbling block. For some, it's, it's the teaching that the Messiah could be or would be crucified is unthinkable. To those that are perishing, the thought of the whole idea of Jesus dying for the sins of mankind is foolishness. You know, in Acts chapter 17, there's this great story where Paul taught at Mars Hill, preached the word of God and preached about the resurrection and the crowds mocked him. It was foolishness to them. Some do not believe that God loves them. Others don't understand sin. And so the thought of a God who would sacrifice himself for their sin to them, it's just foolishness. But to those being saved, the cross is the power of God to those being saved. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. John chapter 1 verse 12, it says this, but to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, right from the very beginning of the book of Genesis, God warned Adam. He said that sin would result in death. When the Lord pointed to that tree in the garden of Eden, he warned Adam and he said, the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And sin came into the world through that one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And Romans chapter 5 verse 12 declares that to us. And the Bible tells us that the soul who sins dies, that the wages of sin is death. And the message and the preaching of the cross is the power of God because it declares. It declares that Jesus Christ took our guilt and bore our sin in his body on that tree. God laid on Jesus the iniquities of us all. And God's word declares to us that by believing in Jesus, you'll receive forgiveness of all the sins that you've ever committed. I got to ask, does that sound foolish to you? Does your will stumble over those facts? Or do you rejoice? Or do you rejoice in the power and wisdom of God that he used the cross for our salvation? Do you rejoice that on that cross, Jesus set you free from sin? Do you rejoice that on that cross, Jesus set you free from that which was once destroying your life? You know, if you hear about the cross, you hear that message and you think to yourself, you know, it's so foolish. To believe such a thing is just foolish. Then I have to tell you that by definition, the Bible actually says that you are perishing. You don't have life. But the Bible also says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. See, to believe in Jesus is to be saved and to not believe in Jesus is to perish. And so we have to make a decision for Jesus. Make a decision for Jesus. It says this in 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul again. For I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. When Paul said that, he was saying that the gospel and knowing the crucified and risen Jesus was the singular passion and focus of his life. His desire that with his mind's eye, he would have clear and pure perception of who Christ Jesus is. And to lay hold of Jesus, Paul understood that ultimately to do that, he would have to do as Jesus had done. He'd have to pick up his own cross and follow after him. He says this again in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, our theme verse. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The second half of that verse is this, by, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's what Paul said. He boasted in the cross. 
I think, well, what does it look like to boast in the cross? What does that look like? Well, the first thing I would say is this, is it means this, you put no confidence in your flesh. Philippians 3.3, Paul said this, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You know, a couple of comments about the flesh and putting no, comment, no, no confidence in the flesh. First thing I think is this, is that means to me that I need to murder the flesh. I always love that saying. That's why I say it. Murder the flesh because it's violent, because it describes what needs to happen. It's like, it's a metaphor of, of, of this picture of crucifying the flesh, destroy its power utterly. You know, it's a painful thing to put your flesh to death, isn't it? But we are those who have had the old life removed. The Bible tells us that the old life is gone and new life has come. Like a dirty set of clothes, so filthy, so worn out, never to be put on again. We, we toss the old life aside. We toss aside that old nature to live for Jesus. And spiritually speaking, the fleshly character of that old man must be put to death. The flesh must be murdered. Like old Yeller. You remember that movie? I always cried when I watched that movie when I was a kid. You know, take old Yeller out, back, you put him down. That's what has to happen to the flesh. Murder the flesh. The second thing I think is this, is that that means we put no confidence in our flesh, as Paul says. You know, we used to put confidence in our flesh. Our boasting at one time was in our wisdom and our might and our riches. At one time we boasted, my own hands can save me. My own hands have saved me. But with the knowledge of the gospel in our minds and the reality of God's power in our hearts, now we realize that the odds were so stacked against us because of sin that we had no choice but to cry out and say, Jesus, you've got to save me. We don't go back to boasting in our wisdom. We don't go back to boasting in our might or our riches. We put no confidence in the flesh. Rather, we boast in Jesus, church. We boast in the wisdom and the might and the riches of King Jesus who bore our sin in his body, who bore our sin in his strong arms. So when we think about this question of what does it mean to, to boast in the cross? It means this, that we count all loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. All is a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. You know, so many people live their lives looking over their shoulder, trying to live in the past, living with the failure and the victories of the past. And certainly there is a value to looking over your shoulder you know, to see what God has done, to see where you've come from. But there also can be bondage to the old life and in looking back to old victories. You know, you'll never move forward by looking backward. At least you won't move forward in the right direction. I want to tell you the past is forgiven if you've come to Jesus. 
And what God has done in your past is nothing compared to what God wants to do in our future. The things that he has in store for us. God wants to renew and start something new in our life today. There's, I'm excited about where God is leading us. And Paul said this, all is a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. So he said, one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3 verse 13 and 14. And so I think of one more thing when we ask this question, what does it mean to boast in Jesus? Well, the third thing is this. The only thing that counts for anything is that we are a new creation. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, we read this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Boy, if you're a follower of Jesus, I got to tell you, the death of the old man is an established fact. Spiritually speaking, it happened when we were identified with Jesus' death at our salvation. You know, in the waters of baptism, we actually acted that out as a public testimony to all who would watch. We acted out the picture of our new life in Christ Jesus. The old man was buried in the waters of salvation, never to rise again. And we were raised to new life in Christ Jesus. The nature of the old man is just so deeply ingrained in every one of our lives. And what we need to recognize is that old, the old man, old Matt, can't turn over like a new leaf, so to speak. Old Matt can't be reformed. Old Matt can't be renewed. Jesus put old Matt to death and old Matt doesn't live anymore. And in his place is a new creation in Christ Jesus. Born again. See, what counts in God's economy is that you've been born again. Have you been born again? A new man created according to God in righteousness and holiness, Ephesians 2.4. A new man renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, Colossians 3.10. See, church, day by day we put to death the old man. And we let the new man with the mind of Christ influence our will and our emotions and our actions and our future and everything. The new man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Church, what does it mean to boast in Jesus? It means this. We put no confidence in the flesh. We count all as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. And we say this, the only thing that counts for anything is that we live as new creation. Paul said it this way, Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Boy, don't you wonder what God has in store for us in 2021, church? Don't you wonder? It's going to be exciting. It's going to be an adventure. Ah, normal's boring. You know, I just keep thinking that to myself. I keep telling myself, myself that. You know, go back to normal. That's boring. That life was boring. <laughs> we want to live an adventure for King Jesus. We want to go where Jesus is going to lead us. And if our witness for Christ Jesus is going to be authentic, 
if we are going to endure through the things that are yet to come, church, our message has to be the cross of Christ. We have to pick up our cross and follow Jesus wherever he lead. Amen. Let me pray for you this morning. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you've saved us. We thank you, Lord, for the cross. We thank you, Jesus, that on that cross you bore our sins in your body. Lord, it wasn't our own might or strength that saved us. It was all you, Jesus. It was all you. I pray, Lord, as we look ahead into what you have in store for us, we pray, God, that that we would live with that singularity of purpose to know you. Singularity of boasting in the cross of Christ. Lord, knowing that whatever you have in store for us down the road, that it'll be good to pick up the cross and follow you, to be led deeper into the waters with you, Jesus. May that be what happens for us in 2021. Lord, we don't declare to love the things of the past year. Hasn't been easy. But God, we recognize you've been at work. You've been preparing us, preparing our church. And so, Lord, we just say to you, we look forward to what you have in store for us. God, to live for you, to bring glory to your name. God, I pray your grace and your peace on each one this morning, Lord. May the peace of Christ rule in their hearts and rule in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.